This is literally everything, 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 everything. If you're like me, you have a pile of books older than your grandma's mom and taller than the Empire State Building just begging to be read. To top it off, you probably add several books to said pile every week, yet somehow find yourself in a reading slump with nothing to read. Uh Uh-huh, I see you. In an attempt to tackle my never-ending pile of books, I decided to start a podcast with hopes of making some sort of dent in said pile, and maybe help inspire your next read. I'm Odell. Welcome to Just Read It Already. Hey, my little book nerds. Hope all is well for you, wherever you are. Today is the second episode in my month of creepy books, and I will share my thoughts on Jason Rakulik's Hidden Pictures. Hope I pronounced that name correctly. Danielle Valentine's How to Survive Your Murder. Laura Sims' How Can I Help You. Darcy Coates' Dead of Winter. And another name I'll probably butcher, Clements Michelin's The Quiet Tenant. But before we look at the reviews, let's check out what is new this week. First on my list is Stars in Your Eyes by Kaysen Callender, a beautifully tender story of two fake dating actors navigating their love story both on and off screen. I reviewed this book on episode 23, so if you'd like to hear my thoughts, go check out that episode. Next is You Always Come Back by Emily Smith an electrifying debut suspense that pits the inhabitants of a small town against each other. Then we have Love Interest by Claire Gilmore. This is a co-worker enemies-to-lovers rom-com that proves falling in love is the risk and the reward. Then we have Love at 350 Degrees by Lisa Pierce. When two women meet as judge and contestant on the set of a TV baking competition, they must decide what they're willing to risk for the ultimate prize in this wholesome and delectable debut. Then we have Hold My Girl by Charlene Carr. Two women, two eggs, one life-changing switch. With themes of racial identity, loss, and betrayal, Hold My Girl is an emotional novel that will leave you contemplating. What makes a mother? Then we have Homeward by Angela Jackson Brown. The country is changing and her own world is being turned upside down. Nothing and no one will ever be the same. Then we have Bittersweet in the Hollow by Kate Pearsall. In this beautifully dark and enthralling YA, four sisters with unusual talents investigate a mysterious disappearance in their secluded Appalachian town. Then we have the... An evocative family drama and a riveting mystery about the ferocious pull of motherhood for two very different women. Next is The Night Fox by Ashley Wilde. This luminous, haunting debut, alternating between now and then, reality and magic, tells the story of a girl confronting heartbreak while at a mysterious recovery program in the wilderness. Next is Red River 7 by A.J. Ryan, a nerve-shredding thriller in which seven strangers must undertake a terrifying journey into the unknown. Then we have Songs of Irie by Asha Bromfield, a sweeping coming-of-age novel about a friendship struggling to survive amidst the Jamaican civil unrest of the 1970s. Then we have Midnight at the Christmas Bookshop by Jenny Colgan. They're sneaking those Christmas books in already. This is the sequel to the instant New York Times bestseller, The Christmas Bookshop. 
then we have A Holly Jolly Ever After by Julie Murphy and Sierra Simone. An actress and a perpetually single former boy band member are reunited as co-stars on a steamy holiday film in this all-new spicy rom-com. Then we have Shoot the Moon by Issa Arson. This tells the story of one singular life at multiple points in time, one woman's quest to honor both her head and her heart amid the human toll of scientific progress. Next is A Swordcatcher by Cassandra Clare. Two outcasts find themselves caught in a web of forbidden love, dangerous magic, and dark secrets that could change the world forever. Then we have Becoming the Boogeyman by Richard Chismar. The terrifying sequel to the best-selling novel, Chasing the Boogeyman, which I've had on my TBR forever. I need to read that. Next is The Night Hunt by Alexandra Christo, a dark fantasy romance about a monstrous girl who feeds on fear and the god's cursed boy who falls in love with her. Next is I Loved You in Another Life by David Arnold, a poignant love story about two teens whose souls come together time and again through the ages. Next is A Charming Young Man by Elliot Schreffer. This is described as an exuberant young adult historical coming-of-age novel about a rising star French pianist navigating his way into high society as he explores his sexuality. And last on my list today is Hatchet Girls by Diana Rodriguez Wallach, or Wallach, W-A-L-L-A-C-H. This is a supernatural horror that reminds us family can be our saving grace, or our biggest curse. Set 100 years after the Borden murders, this propulsive thriller imagines what a similar trial might look like today. I did not buy any new books this week, surprise, surprise. So we'll dive right into the reviews. And we will start with my review of Hidden Pictures by Jason Rakulik. This book was first published by Flatiron Books on May 10th, 2022, and was the Goodreads Choice Award for Best Horror of 2022. The synopsis reads, Mallory Quinn is fresh out of rehab when she takes a job as a babysitter for Ted and Caroline Maxwell. She is to look after their five-year-old son, Teddy. Mallory immediately loves it. She has her own living space, goes out for nightly runs, and has the stability she craves. And she sincerely bonds with Teddy, a sweet, shy boy who is never without his sketchbook and pencil. His drawings are the usual fare. Trees, rabbits, balloons. But one day he draws something different. A man in a forest, dragging a woman's lifeless body. Then, Teddy's artwork becomes increasingly sinister, and his stick figures quickly evolve into lifelike sketches well beyond the ability of any five-year-old. Mallory begins to wonder if these are glimpses of a long, unsolved murder, perhaps relayed by a supernatural force. Knowing just how crazy it all sounds, Mallory nevertheless sets out to decipher the images and save Teddy before it's too late. I'd heard really good things about this book, and I don't know why it took me so long to finally read it. It wasn't especially scary, but the mystery kept me glued to the pages, and while I had a few suspicions of what might be going on, I was not expecting the reveal at all. The story revolves around Mallory Quinn, a young woman who grew up poor but was a promising cross-country runner with college dreams. Things looked bright for her until she became addicted to drugs. After a stint in rehab, Mallory has an amazing sponsor and is doing pretty well for herself. She's 18 months clean and intends to stay that way. Desperate for stability and a fresh start, she interviews for a job as a babysitter for the Maxwell family in a small town in New Jersey. From the moment she steps into their home, it becomes clear that this is the perfect job for her. Mallory quickly forms a bond with Teddy, the five-year-old son of Ted and Caroline Maxwell. Teddy is a shy and sweet boy who seems to always have his sketchbook and pencil in hand. 
He also has an imaginary friend named Anya. Teddy's drawings at first are innocent and typical of a child his age. However, things take a turn when Teddy starts drawing scenes depicting a woman being murdered. And things get even more strange when he claims that Anya is making him do the drawings. Teddy's sketches become increasingly dark and unsettling, and Mallory can't help but wonder if there are glimpses into a disturbing truth. As the drawings evolve into lifelike sketches, Mallory is convinced that Teddy is being haunted. The Maxwells refuse to believe Mallory and wonder if maybe she's relapsed and has started using again. Desperate to keep her job and save Teddy, Mallory decides to find out what's really going on, but what she finds may end up being more deadly than she ever could have imagined. And while not especially scary, this is a creepy book and the author does a fantastic job of building tension throughout the story. As Mallory delves deeper into Teddy's drawings, the atmosphere becomes increasingly eerie. The pacing of the book is spot on with just the right balance of suspense and mystery. One of the strengths of Hidden Pictures lies in its characters. Mallory is a flawed but relatable protagonist, determined to unravel the mystery while battling her own demons. The story is told from her first-person point of view, which puts us directly in her shoes. Teddy is also an interesting character. The juxtaposition between his sweet nature and the darkness portrayed in his drawings adds another layer of intrigue to the story. The supporting characters, such as Ted and Caroline Maxwell, have great character arcs, and the addition of a few other characters helps round out the cast perfectly. It never felt as though there were too many characters in the mix, which is always nice. The idea of a child conversing with spirits and creating creepy drawings isn't exactly a new concept, but the payoff is definitely something I wasn't expecting. I can't say much without ruining everything, but I will say that it shocked me, and the last 50 or so pages had me glued to the book. One thing that I noticed, though, was there were times when I was reading that I felt that the voice was very basic and that some of the dialogue felt a little ridiculous. But then, after I finished the book and thought about it some more, it seemed that this wasn't a shortcoming of the author, but rather a deliberate tactic to elevate the character of Mallory. I think my only complaint, and honestly, complaint seems like a strong word here, is that I didn't feel like the book needed to be tied up in a pretty bow. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, I'm a fan of an ending that's open for interpretation, and I think that would have elevated this one by an extra half star for me. This book was a nice mix of mystery, suspense, and the supernatural. I gave it four stars as an overall rating. It wasn't super scary, but it did have some nice creepy moments, so I gave it a three on the scary meter. Next, I'll share my thoughts on the amazingly fun How to Survive Your Murder by Danielle Valentine. This book was first published by Razor Bill on August 30th, 2022. The synopsis reads, Alice Lawrence is the sole witness in her sister's murder trial, and in the years since Claire's death, Alice's life has completely fallen apart. Her parents have gotten divorced, she's moved into an apartment that smells like baloney, and she is being forced to face her sister's killer and a courtroom full of people who doubt what she saw in the corn maze a year prior. Claire was an all-American girl, beautiful and bubbly and a theater star. Alice was a nerd who dreamed of becoming a forensic pathologist and would rather stay at home to watch her favorite horror movies than party. Despite their differences, they were bonded by sisterhood and were each other's best friends, until Claire was taken away from her. On the first day of the murder trial, as Alice prepares to give her testimony, she is knocked out by a Sidney Prescott look-alike in the courthouse bathroom. When she wakes up, it is Halloween night a year earlier, the same day Claire was murdered. 
Alice has until midnight to save her sister and find the real killer before he claims another victim. Y'all, this book was exactly what I needed. I have been searching for a really good slasher book reminiscent of some of my favorites from the 1980s and 1990s, and this one scratched that itch perfectly. Danielle Valentine has crafted a captivating story that expertly blends elements of horror, mystery, and time travel, resulting in a thrilling and suspenseful read. And this book begins with a bang, actually with more of a rev, when a girl is attacked by a chainsaw-wielding maniac in a corn maze. Gotta love that. Now before the night is over, our main character, Alice's sister Claire, is dead, and Alice saw who killed her. A year later, the trial is about to begin and Alice is the key witness, but before she can testify, she runs into a girl in the bathroom who looks exactly like Nev Campbell's character, Sidney Prescott from Scream. The next thing she knows, she's waking up in the corn maze a year earlier, and Claire's still alive. Alice has until midnight to figure out if the dude she accused of murdering Claire really did it, and if not, then who is the killer, all while trying to keep Claire, herself, and the rest of her friends alive until midnight. As our lead, Alice is a relatable and a well-developed character. Her transformation through the book is very realistic. Alice is a true horror movie buff, and like many tried-and-true horror fanatics, she spends the majority of her time screaming at the characters to do something while claiming she would never do that herself. In theory, Alice feels she's fully prepared to be a final girl. But when she's actually put in that role, she realizes how difficult it is to stay focused while being pursued and figure out who you can and cannot trust. Also, she learns that cardio is important because there is a lot of running involved. The supporting cast of characters adds depth and richness to the story. From Claire's charming boyfriend, I mean, it's always a boyfriend, or is it? To the mysterious Sidney Prescott lookalike, each character feels like a fully realized individual with their own motivations and secrets. It's refreshing to see such well-rounded secondary characters who contribute meaningfully to the plot rather than merely serving as background filler. Like, I felt like I cared just as much about the supporting characters as I did about Alice, which is always nice. The pacing of the book is spot on, with moments of heart-pounding action balanced with quieter, introspective moments that allow the reader just enough time to catch their breath before ratcheting up the tension again. What really elevated this book for me was Valentine's ability to perfectly capture the essence of slasher films from the 1980s and 90s. A lot of times the blurb on the book comparing it to a certain movie is a stretch, but in this case the publisher had it spot on. This one is 100% a mashup of several horror movies, especially Scream, with elements of Happy Death Day thrown in. And even though it appears on the surface to borrow heavily from these films, the author finds a way to make them her own. The time travel aspect of the story adds an additional layer of excitement and complexity. Valentine seamlessly weaves the past and present together, creating a mind-bending plot that keeps readers guessing until the very end. And I mean, literally, the very end. That twist at the end blew my mind and left me craving more. Rumor has it there is a sequel, and there's always a sequel when it comes to horror, right? And I can't wait for it. Overall, this is a must-read for fans of horror and thriller books, especially if you're a slasher fiend like me. With its nostalgic nods to classic slasher films, engaging characters, and a pulse-pounding plot, Danielle Valentine has delivered a truly captivating and satisfying read. 
Now, naturally, I had to do some digging and add everything else she has written to my TBR, and I found that Danielle Valentine and Danielle Vega are one and the same, and she has another series of books that sound equally as creepy. She also wrote Delicate Condition, which is what the latest season of American Horror Story will be based on. And I have that one on my list of books to read this month, so barring any unforeseen circumstances, I should have a review of that one in the next week or two. Now, it should come as no surprise that I rated this one four and a half stars. Honestly, it would have been a five-star book, but the reveal of who the Sydney Prescott lookalike actually seemed a bit weird to me and knocked off half a star. And I gave it four on the scary meter. I'll be right back after the break. Next, we'll take a look at How Can I Help You by Laura Sims. This book was first published by Putnam on July 18th, 2023, and was one of my August Aardvark Book Club selections. The synopsis reads, No one knows Margot's real name. Her colleagues and patrons at a small-town public library only know her middle-aged normalcy, congeniality, and charm. They have no reason to suspect that she is, in fact, a former nurse with a trail of countless premature deaths in her wake. She has turned a new page, so to speak, and the library is her sanctuary, a place to quell old urges. That is, at least, until Patricia, a recent graduate and failed novelist, joins the library staff. Patricia quickly notices Margot's subtly sinister edge and watches her carefully. When a patron's death in the library bathroom gives her a hint of Margot's mysterious past, Patricia can't resist digging deeper, even as this new fixation becomes all-consuming. Death at a library? A possible killer librarian? Hello? Yes, please. What makes this so enthralling is that the library is the last place you would expect to feel threatened or in danger, unless you're in some ass-backward state like Texas or Florida where everyone is scared of books, it seems. One of the aspects that drew me to this book was the unique premise of a killer librarian. It's rare to find a story where the main character is a seemingly ordinary person working in a public library of all places. This twist immediately piqued my interest and definitely added an extra layer of intrigue to the story. The two main characters, Margot and Patricia, couldn't be more different, yet their contrast makes for a fascinating read. On the surface, Margot appears normal and harmless. Her co-workers and the patrons see her as the perfect librarian. She's middle-aged, kind, and always willing to help. This makes her dark secrets all the more chilling. Patricia, on the other hand, is a recent graduate and aspiring writer who joins the library staff. She's observant and intuitive. Patricia's presence rattles Margot for some reason. She has worked at the library for two years with the same group of women, and suddenly there's a newbie here. It's not long before Margot asks Patricia to coffee and takes a liking to the girl. Her comfort with Patricia leads Margot to reveal a tidbit of information from her past that piques Patricia's interest. Bored at the library, Patricia begins to dig a bit and finds something truly disturbing. With this new piece of information, Patricia begins to look at Margot in a new light and thus begins the game of cat and mouse between the two. The character development in How Can I Help You is exceptional. Margot, especially, is a complex character, with her terrifying past shaping her present actions. Like Patricia, I found myself both fascinated and a little repulsed by Margot, and part of this is because Sims creates a sense of empathy for her, despite her heinous actions, making her a deeply conflicted and multi-dimensional character. 
And then Patricia's determination to uncover the truth paints her as a resilient and determined individual, and I couldn't help but root for her throughout the entire book. Most of the book is told from Margot's point of view, but now and then we get a chapter from Patricia's viewpoint, which elevates the story. Both of our characters are a little paranoid, and getting a look at both of their thought processes is exactly what is needed from a book like this. Sims masterfully weaves together the past and present, slowly revealing Margot's dark history and the reasons behind her transformation. Likewise, each clue Patricia uncovers about Margot's past adds another layer to the story, slowly building toward a heart-pounding climax. Seriously, the ending had me gasping, was not expecting it at all. Overall, this is a thrilling and thought-provoking read that kept me on the edge of the couch. It clocks in at just under 250 pages, so you can easily read it in a single sitting. The unique story and engaging characters make this book a must-read for fans of suspenseful psychological thrillers. If you enjoy books that keep you on the edge of your seat and challenge your perceptions, then this is the perfect novel for you. I gave it four stars overall, but only one and a half on the scary meter, because it just it wasn't very scary at all, but definitely a good read. Now, I'll share my thoughts on Dead of Winter by Darcy Coates. This book was first published by Poisoned Pen Press on July 11th, 2023. The synopsis reads, When Krista joins a tour group heading deep into the snowy expanse of the Rocky Mountains, she's hopeful this will be her chance to put the ghosts of her past to rest. But when a bitterly cold snowstorm sweeps the region, the small group is forced to take shelter in an abandoned hunting cabin. Despite the uncomfortably claustrophobic quarters and rapidly dropping temperature, Krista believes they'll be safe as they wait out the storm. She couldn't be more wrong. Deep in the night, their tour guide goes missing, only to be discovered the following morning, his severed head impaled on a tree outside of the cabin. Terrified and completely isolated by the storm, Krista finds herself trapped with eight total strangers. One of them kills for sports, and they're far from finished. As the storm grows more dangerous and the number of survivors dwindles one by one, Krista must decide who she can trust before this frozen mountain becomes her tomb. This book had me on the edge of my seat from the very first chapter. The atmosphere is perfect, the characters are well-rounded, and the pacing is quick, providing a truly heart-pounding reading experience. The story follows Krista and her fiancé as they set out for a two-week trip in the Colorado Rockies. They are part of a tour group full of people needing to get away, and the lodge sounds like the perfect escape. Hoping for a chance to relax and spend some quality time with her boyfriend, Kiernan, Krista soon finds herself in a dangerous situation when their bus gets trapped, and a fierce snowstorm forces the group to seek refuge in a small, abandoned hunting cabin. The snowstorm is only the beginning of their issues. The next morning, someone is missing, and their tour guide's severed head is found stuck on the branch of a pine tree outside the cabin. As hours and then days go by, the group finds themselves hunted. The body and severed head count continues to rise. Who is hunting them? Is it someone in the group or a psycho living in the woods? And the most important question is, why? Coates masterfully creates an atmosphere of unease and suspense throughout the entire book. The desolate and isolated setting, coupled with the relentless snowstorms, adds to the sense of foreboding. We're firmly placed in the snowy expanse of the Rocky Mountains and we can feel the bone-chilling cold. The detailed descriptions not only enhance the suspense, but also immerse you in the story. I grew up in Idaho and we would go snowmobiling in the winter sometimes. 
I remember traveling into the mountains and looking out at nothing but blinding white snow. So I can't imagine being trapped in the mountains and not knowing where you are because everywhere you look, it looks the same. Coates ups the tension by placing all of these people, all of them strangers to each other, mind you, in a small cabin. No one knows who they can trust. They're desperate to get out of there, but they have no idea where to go. As far as characters go, Krista is relatable and very well developed. She's a tough cookie and goes on quite an emotional journey throughout the entire book. We witness her transformation from a vulnerable woman to a strong and resourceful survivor. The supporting cast is equally well-crafted, each with their own secrets and motives. Some of them you'll love, some you'll hate, some of them you'll want to like, and some of them will completely break your heart. As one can imagine, as the storm rages on and the body count rises, suspicion and mistrust quickly escalate within the group. The author is so good, she made me feel like I was there in the cabin, questioning the intentions of every character. Not only are the characters great, but the pacing of the book is relentless. The short and punchy chapters kept the pace moving and made it nearly impossible to put the book down. The tension is palpable and you'll find yourself holding your breath as the characters inch closer to the truth and their potential demise. What I loved about the book was the underlying theme of survival. The characters are forced to confront their darkest fears and make unimaginable choices to stay alive. As the storm intensifies and the body count rises, the stakes become higher, making for a truly heart-pounding read. Now, I will admit, I figured out who the killer was very early on because that's just how my mind works, but that didn't take away from my enjoyment at all. This is exactly the type of story that I love. It made my slasher-loving heart very happy. I'd love to see this developed into a movie. It should come as no surprise that I loved this book. If you're a fan of suspenseful and atmospheric thrillers, then this is a must-read. This was my first book by this author, and it certainly won't be my last. I rated this one a four and a half on my blog and Storygraph only because I figured out who the killer was early on, and I rounded it up to a five on Goodreads. And I gave it a four and a half on the scary meter because it had me on the edge of my seat and turning the pages well into the night. And we will close out with my thoughts on The Quiet Tenant by Clemence Michelon. I feel really stupid pronouncing that because I am not French. Anyway. This book was first published on June 20th, 2023 by Knopf Publishing Group. The synopsis reads, Aiden Thomas is a hard-working family man and a somewhat beloved figure in the small upstate New York town where he lives. He's the kind of man who always lends a hand and has a good word for everyone. But Aiden has a dark secret he's been keeping from everyone in town and those closest to him. He's a kidnapper and a serial killer. Aiden has murdered eight women, and there's a ninth he has earmarked for death, Rachel imprisoned in a backyard shed, fearing for her life. When Aiden's wife dies, he and his 13-year-old daughter, Cecilia, are forced to move. Aiden has no choice but to bring Rachel along, introducing her to Cecilia as a family friend who needs a place to stay. Aiden is betting on Rachel after five years of captivity, being too brainwashed and fearful to attempt to escape. But Rachel is a fighter and survivor and recognizes Cecilia might just be the lifeline she has waited for all these years. As Rachel tests the boundaries of her new living situation, she begins to form a tenuous connection with Cecilia. And when Emily, a local restaurant owner, develops a crush on the handsome widower, she finds herself drawn into Rachel and Cecilia's orbit, coming dangerously close to discovering Aiden's secret. 
Told through the perspectives of Rachel, Cecilia, and Emily, the quiet tenant explores the psychological impact of Aiden's crimes on the women in his life and the bonds between those women that give them the strength to fight back. I had heard so many good things about this book that I was almost afraid to read it. I have this problem where if something is super hyped, I get my hopes up and then I end up being let down. That was absolutely not the case here. This book had me glued to the pages. I seriously couldn't put it down. It's suspenseful and thought-provoking and takes readers on a chilling journey through the minds of women caught in the web of a serial killer. Now, there are no shortage of serial killer novels out there, but this one is told using multiple points of view and all from the women who know the man who is a serial killer, and each of them play a different role in his life. This approach adds a surprising amount of depth to what seemed to be a somewhat familiar story. At the heart of the story is Aiden Thomas, a seemingly ordinary family man living in a small upstate New York town. Everyone loves Aiden. He's kind, he's respectful, and he always goes out of his way to help his friends and neighbors whenever they're in need. The problem is that Aiden hides a sinister secret. He is a serial killer. Having already claimed the lives of eight women, Aiden is waiting to claim his ninth victim, a woman he calls Rachel, whom he's held captive in his shed for the past several years. When Aiden's wife passes away, he's forced to relocate with his 13-year-old daughter, Cecilia. There's no shed to lock Rachel up in at this new place, but he does have a spare room where she can stay, so he introduces her to Cecilia as a family friend in need of a place to stay. He keeps Rachel locked up in a room, handcuffed to her bed when she's not with him, and Aiden feels pretty strongly that after holding Rachel captive for several years, he's broken her down enough that she won't try anything. That's what you think, cocky white man. Rachel sees this as a new opportunity to escape and begins to test the boundaries of her new living situation. As time passes, a tenuous connection forms between her and Cecilia. Could this new relationship potentially be Rachel's ticket to freedom? As the story progresses, unexpected twists and turns propel the narrative forward. The tension builds as Emily, a local restaurant owner, unknowingly becomes entangled in Aiden's web and grows dangerously close to discovering his secret. Emily has a crush on Aiden and looks forward to the days when he comes in and visits with her at the bar. To her, he is the kind widower that she's crushed on for the last several months. She dreams of the two of them falling in love, building a life together. As she becomes more obsessed with him, she becomes even more entangled in his life, placing herself in danger, propelling the story to a crazy and tension-filled conclusion. I loved that we hear the story from Rachel, Emily, and Cecilia's points of view, but never from Aiden. We get to see different sides of Aiden through each of their eyes. We have his daughter, who sees him as her loving father and protector. And then we have Emily, who sees him as the single father and nice, helpful guy that everyone around town adores. And then we hear from Rachel, who knows only the dark side of him. Peppered amongst these three narratives are brief accounts from all of Aiden's victims, all nameless, as they recount the moments before their deaths. The way this was written, it almost reads like a true crime documentary in that we're focused on the monster, the serial killer himself, and we get very little information about the victims. The spotlight remains on Aiden, and the victims are nothing more than collateral damage. It's sad, but this is a very common theme in true crime documentaries. The writing in this book is top-notch, and the author expertly gives each of the three women their own voice. The book is also perfectly paced. 
The author ensures that readers are fully immersed in the story from beginning to end, carefully unraveling the layers of secrets and despair within Aiden's treacherous world. I highly recommend this book to fans of thrillers. The author managed to take a familiar story and turn it into something that felt fresh. I gave it five stars and then rated it a four on the scary meter because it does have some pretty tense moments. Not super scary, but it is tense. I also want to give a little shout out to my college friend, Amber Battaglia. She is the narrator for victim number eight on the audiobook. So check it out if you're into audiobooks. That's it for today. Don't forget to rate and subscribe on whatever podcast app you're listening on. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram for all things bookish. The handle there is at just read it already pod. You can also find links to all the books that I talk about today on the website at justreaditalready.com. Be sure to join me next week when I share my thoughts on Lisa Springer's There's No Way I'd Die First, Carissa Orlando's September House, Lisa M. Matlin's The Stranger Upstairs, Katie Williams' My Murder, and Scott Leeds' Schrader's Cord. We'll see you then.